Welcome back to the program. This is your host, Ron Wells, coming to you live from the MyBillReview.com studios. Uh, thanks for listening again. I do appreciate you. Um, let me get you caught up on Last Dance Parts 5, 6, 7, and 8, starting out with um, Part 5 and, um, and 6, what I took away from those two episodes. Um, the long and short, uh, I I can't say enough how ESPN put this together. I understand that um, it's two months earlier than what they fully expected to put it out. Um, and uh, it truly is amazing how they had the foresight to um, luckily get in Kobe Bryant and his thoughts on Michael Jordan. And uh, it, it kind of hit me in a place because I, I grew up in the Jordan era, but I also got to see Kobe grow up, and he was more of my age. Um, I'm 35, Kobe's 39, about to turn 40 or 40. Um, was turning 40 this year and um so he was you know for the most part someone that i could relate to kind of like my father could relate to michael jordan who him and michael are you know relatively the same age um so he saw all those things that you hear analysts like shannon sharp say, say that they saw and how larry bird was their guy and not michael jordan so on and so forth well for me it was Michael Jordan because I came up with during the marketing ad campaign of like Mike in these these crystal um, clear views of how people saw Michael Jordan. He was this clean cut, marketable guy who also could dunk and was ferocious and for all intents and purposes, probably wouldn't survive um, the criticisms of of today or he would survive. But there would be a, a lot more criticisms than they are of him now. Um, Michael Jordan, as much as people wanted to be like Mike in the, those ad campaigns, um, David Falk, his agent, phenomenal agent, legendary agent um, for what he did in transitioning, um, you know, um, a team sports guy and marketing him like he was a individual sports guy, like a tennis player, like a golf pro, so on and so forth. Um, he had the foresight to treat him that way and thank uh, Michael Jordan's uh, mother and father for their business acumen and seeing Michael that way and getting him into that mindset um, as a solo artist within a, a team sport when it comes to marketing. He didn't need to be marketed um, in packages like they did before, especially with shoe deals. Um, when you have Converse who has, you know, um, Billy King and Magic Johnson and Mike um, and um, Larry Bird um, all marketing the same shoe, just in different colors. Um, if everybody remembers that Converse commercial that they showed during the last dance, and then you come through um, with Michael getting a deal. Um, well, when he, Adidas was just on his behind and uh, he wanted to be in Adidas, but Adidas couldn't get their act together. Similarly to uh you know, some other companies not getting their act together on, on deals for athletes today. Um, like with Steph Curry, he was supposed to be a Nike guy, and they ended up showing him a presentation where they forgot to take the edits out for Kevin Durant. Um, Nike's not infallible. It happened to Nike the same way it happened to Adidas 
back in the um, early 80s when Michael was coming out. Um, but they didn't see Steph as becoming this phenomenal uh, phenomenon. And Under Armour saw where it was going. Similarly, that's what happened to Adidas with Michael Jordan and Nike. See, this is the stuff that I am way more interested in. And this is what the program is going to bring you. The behind the scenes, the business acumen of sports. It's not just what they do on the floor. It's what they do on the floor and how it affects their businesses outside of it when it comes to the front offices, when it comes to the player themselves and how marketable they could be. That's why I enjoy the, the draft process because they nitpick and pick people apart. But at the same, same time, although it may not seem fair, um, a fair is a place where they judge pigs. And this mindset that Michael Jordan's mom and his dad um, you know, forced him to have and forced him to take the trip to Oregon to be pitched by Nike, um, set off a chain of events that led to him not only being, you know, my uh, one of my favorite basketball players because of what he did on the court. My, um, you know, full disclosure, my, Magic Johnson, um, because he did it with a smile, was one of my favorite basketball players during that era over Michael Jordan. It was Magic. It was Michael, then it was Kareem. They were winners. That's what little kids look up to. They look up to winners. Who you, you're constantly seeing from the time I started understanding basketball as a three and four year old. It was the first sport that I actually could physically understand. Ball goes in hoop. That's what I see. And then I see purple and gold winning all the time. Then I see, you know, the Pistons and the Bulls going at it. And Chicago was um, a, a family, you know, team. You know, we have family in Chicago. You know, I spent time there. You know, that's that's the squad that you got to root for. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, I was a magic guy. I'm not going to front. But Michael stole the 90s. And I loved it because when I was in Florida, um, and I'm still here in Florida, and I am a Floridian for the most part, you know, when we're rocking our starter jackets and I'm coming in with the Bulls jacket and all my friends are rocking you know, Heat, because the Heat are up and coming, and they just got Tim Hardaway, Orlando Magic, because Shaq and Penny, you know, with the Penny dolls and stuff like that, those starter jackets were raw. The Bulls, the Heat, and the Magic, and the Lakers had the best starter jacket looking, I mean, like, designs out there. And if you didn't have a starter jacket, you weren't nothing, because they had all the pockets and all this other stuff. And a starter jacket in Florida is ridiculous, but, man, it was a status symbol. Um... And then, like, these are the things that this episode entailed going from an all-star game towards the end of his career where, you know, he's facing off against Kobe Bryant and coming full circle with that. And Kobe um, giving his thoughts on not just what Michael Jordan was to him. He was um, he echoed things that Michael said at his funeral, which kind of got Michael choked up and got me choked up. And they put it in the beginning of the episode, which was genius because it, you know, it brought some realism of today into what's going on with, you know, this documentary where it gives you that escape. But, you know, you wanted to remember Kobe and all his grandeur and just seeing him in that space. And this is, you know, statesman Kobe talking about babyface, killer, assassin, um, trying to get there at all costs, Kobe. See, how we remember Kobe 
and how he wasn't this pass-first guy, um, although he lacked the efficiency of a Michael Jordan. Don't get it twisted. Michael shot 50% from the field. Um, while he was in Bulls uniform, that was his shooting percentage. When he got to the Wizards, it brought down his shooting percentage to 49.7%. He still shot better than Russell Westbrook and Kobe Bryant <laughs> um, when he was a Wizard, averaging 22, I'm sorry, 24 and 20 points a game his last two seasons in the league to help the Wizards. But getting back on track, listening to Kobe talk and then him giving his his final like nail in the coffin when Lakers fans would independently ask him, hey, who would win, you or Michael? And he's like, oh, I don't like having that debate. Like, I'm going to go out there, I'm going to try to murder Mike, but at the end of the day, prime Mike versus prime Kobe, there wouldn't be a Kobe without a Michael. And I know people like to call Kobe the, the, the copy and not the original of Michael. I get that. But you, can, you have to understand the era in which he and he, for the most part, throughout the whole era, and me, um, through about 80% of the era, that's who we modeled our games behind. When you realize you're not going to be a seven-foot kid and you are, you know, a uh, have the potential to be over six foot, who are you going to model your game after? Who are you watching? And for Michael Jordan, it was Artis Gilmore, Dr. J, and, and others. For us, it was Mike and Magic. And that's why they say, you know, LeBron James has more Magic than Michael in him, and so on and so forth. But Kobe was Michael. Like, that was his hero. So what do you expect for him to model his game after? Similarly, um, you know, just to add a little bit more into it, I just remember hearing Kenny the Jet talk about, you know, when Shaq is always down on these centers for being soft and all this other stuff in the league today, Kenny had to remind Shaq, who are they watching? You don't have a shared experience with your son who wants to be a face-up um, instead of a back-to-the-basket big. And Shaq's son is 6'11", between 6'11 and 7'1", and 295 to 300 pounds. And he wants to be this face-up, three-point shooting, stretch four or stretch five. And he grew up watching Dirk, KD, KG, even at the back half of his career. Like, these are the guys he's watching. And he wants to be this skilled big, more like the Euro-style players versus... You know, the back to the basket, you know, these guys are becoming extinct type of players. And that's all fine and dandy. I understand the evolution of the game. You just miss big guys being big. And you miss people like Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant and the mentality in which they had. They were just hungrier. And a lot of factors come into play with that. And it comes with the groundwork in which Jordan laid out his final two seasons, which was finally getting the players play, paid. He tr he blazed the trail. Jordan still has the highest individual annual salary of all time with 31 and $33 million per year. LeBron's come close, but it's Jordan for the most part. It's Jordan period at one and two. And before Jordan, it was Magic Johnson, who broke the bank with a 25-year, $25 million contract, which was $1 million per. And getting back to previous episodes with Scottie Pippen being mad at his contract, 
he didn't foresee what was now evident in this piece where they talk about the dream team and what the dream team did. He signed the contract before the dream team popped. And when he entered the dream team and then they came back and collectively bargained with the networks, the NBA's value went up five times. So yes, Pippen had the worst contract in the league when you consider his his value to the team and where he was ranked as far as NBA players were concerned, partially given because of the team he was on. But when you're on a winner, you expect to be paid like winners. And being paid $2 million a year when, you know, there are eight other people on your team making more money, it's because of when you sign. Timing and what you are worth is what you are paid. And at the time, that was a great deal but he chose longevity over long, um, long-term security over short-term gain, which was fine, but you got to live with that. And like Michael Jordan said, you sign the deal you signed. And he had no pity party for him because when Jordan was in the league, he was roughly making what um, Scotty was making. I think the most he made before that, um, that see, those two seasons where he made 31 and $33 million, the most he ever made in a season was like 6 to $8 million. Again, put that in perspective, six to eight million for Michael Jordan. When he first came into the league, his Nike deal was more or his was the exact same at a quarter of a million dollars as his rookie deal. His shoe deal was. And he made more off of shoes than he did in apparel than he ever did in the NBA. The same can't be said true for LeBron James, who came in making $90 million dollars. Um, over a 10-year stretch or seven-year stretch with Nike. And then by his seventh year, he hits a $100 million payday. Now, he earned it, but it's not the same. It's the groundwork in which Jordan laid for them. Now, getting now getting over to um, past the Olympic team and moving on to the, the next episodes, where they're talking about, you know, Jordan getting over the hump and his beef with Isaiah. And, you know, they still don't like each other. That's fine and dandy. They're grown men. That's the era in which they came from. I don't believe Isaiah should have paid the penance of not being on the dream team, but I get the fact that the chemistry would have been upset. It's not the best team that could have ever been constructed, but it's still the best team that ever was constructed. And I'm going to leave it at that. The dream team was a team that I looked up to openly and rooted for openly. Yeah, Christian Leitner shouldn't have been on the team. It should have been Shaq. Yeah, maybe Chris Mullins shouldn't have been on the team. Maybe it should have been Isaiah. But I definitely think that John Stockton should have been on the team. He had led the league in assists for the last four years of the previous decade and the first two years leading into that decade. For six years, he led the league in assists and was a defensive monster. And you ask Magic Johnson, you ask Gary Payton, who they hated in the West, they hated John Stockton. Because he wouldn't talk, and he was damn good at what he did. Next up, um, the last two episodes that played last night, um, seven and eight, they talked about basically the will to win Michael Jordan. And it eerily <laughs> mirrored the will to win um, Kobe Bryant. And, yeah, <laughs> um, yes, Kobe um, I'm sorry. Yes, Michael punched Steve Kerr. Yes, Michael um, bullied Horace Grant. Yes, Michael did a lot of things, but it was all about preparing his team to win. And those losses to Orlando, 
um, leaving and going to play baseball, um, whether you believe it was for gambling or what happened to his dad or not, is is beyond whatever. It probably was. But Michael was still good in his last 30 games with um, the Barons, um, um, the farm system of the White Sox and um, down south. He was still he, he was hitting 275 his last 30 games. Also, the training he did to become a baseball player was remarkable. He was way better than Tim Tebow as a baseball player. I'm sorry. Then you add into the fact, oh, he only got to come back after he served a suspension. Well, it was quite convenient that a baseball strike happened during that time frame. I'm starting to believe now more than ever that the spin on this whole gambling thing and him not being allowed in the league was just that, a spin. Um, and it's salacious, and you wanted to put a chink in Mike, Michael's armor. And he came out in interviews talking about the gambling. Yo, I gambled. So what? I got the money to lose. And he did by comparison. When Michael loses $10,000, but he's making $100 million um, over the last 15 years in his his Nike deal. Oh, sorry. Eight years in um, eight to 10 years in his Nike deal. Like $10,000, it would take $10,000, $10,000 in order for him to reach what he had already made in the NBA or $52,000 check to some unsavory guy. Like $50,000 is $50 to this man, if not less. Then you get into um, the baseball strike. The baseball strike for Michael pretty much solidified him coming back. And I admire him for not crossing the picket lines um, and and basically standing his ground with another union. He could have easily gone to play replacement games and been a major league baseball player and had that on his resume. He chose not to. He stood in solidarity with a union and showed people how it should be done, even if you are only a part of that union for a second. He showed people how it should be done. Then he comes back, doesn't have his sea legs, but at the end of the day, when you're out there, you lose, you lose, and you lose like a man. He doesn't even use that as an excuse. Like, he, he just said, yo, it fueled me during the filming of Space Jam to have these pickup games and learn and pick people apart like a Reggie Miller, like a Shaquille O'Neal, like a um, Dennis Rodman, who was on his, who was going to eventually be on his team. And, yo, Rodman playing basketball in pajama pants is freaking hilarious. This man just doesn't care. It's not about what he's wearing. It's about the person he is inside when it comes to playing basketball. And... After they lose to Orlando with Horace Grant, not having an inside presence um, like a Horace Grant, you see what fuels him. Now, in retrospect, looking back at what fueled Scottie Pippen, Pippen had a phenomenal season the first year Jordan was away and playing um, baseball. Phenomenal season, making the playoffs, making the Eastern Conference semis, losing to New York. So, for, so on and so forth in seven games. But that look about him being on the bench when Kukoc hits the game winner, like I still remember my, my dad talking about that and saying, see, that's why the Bulls ain't going to never be nothing. It was just Michael. It was just this. It was just that. And he was right. He was right. Like, <laughs> Pip wasn't Michael. And I need people to really understand this. Trajectory-wise, you do understand if Kraus hadn't pulled off the deal for um, the trade with Seattle, 
after trading for Olden, oh, I'm sorry, after drafting Olden Polonies for Seattle to acquire Scottie Pippen, who went four picks ahead of him, he would have drafted Reggie Miller. Reggie Miller and Michael Jordan had an established relationship. The Carolina guys and the UCLA guys used to play each other and pick up basketball games in L.A., and Magic will be in these pickup games because he organized them at Poly Pavilion. Those rookies that year, when he used to go play, were Reggie Miller, <laughs> Kenny the Jet, and an eclectic mix of others, along with Magic Johnson and Isaiah Thomas. These guys were in this game. They played Reggie Miller. And similar to the blue chip story where Shaq came back and told um, his GM about this um, upstart guy out of Memphis named Penny Hardaway when he was play, uh, filming for the uh, movie Blue Chips, the same thing happened with Michael Jordan. Mind you, Krause didn't really listen to Jordan all that often, but he was fully aware of the, the kid who was the baby brother of the GOAT female basketball player Cheryl Miller's little brother. And he said flat out, Reggie came at me, and he wanted to show me that he was better than the best scorer in the league. And he dropped 20 on me, but I dropped 40 on him. So if Pip wasn't on those Bulls teams, at pick number eight, because Reggie went number 11, guess who's available? Reggie Miller. Reggie Miller, third year in the league, scored 24 points a game. Pippen wasn't ready to face off against the bad boy Pistons and was averaging 12 points a game. Please put that in perspective. A 6'7 guard with a 6'6 guard, and they don't play similar games. Michael, you know, he's a post-up player. He's a mid-range player. He can still shoot threes. He likes to drive to the basket. Reggie is screen, pick and pop, coming around. Imagine him being in the triangle, running around all over the place. That would have been a serious problem for the backcourt of Joe Dumars and um, Isaiah Thomas, who were 6'3 and 6'4. Add in John Paxson, Steve Kerr, I mean, sorry, John Paxson, Michael Jordan, Reggie Miller as your backcourt. Please put that in perspective. Yes, he's still facing off against Rodman, but he had no fear. He was a fearless player. Reggie Miller is the player who scored eight points in 11 seconds. Like, he's that guy. He's the guy that took, the only guy to take Michael Jordan to seven games in a conference finals. Shaq is the only guy to beat him in a conference finals. But Reggie's the only other guy to take him to a game seven in a conference finals. Please get that through your head when Michael was on top. What you are talking about when you say, hey, Pippen made Michael's career. Yes, Pippen took the pressure off him when he needed to guard the best defenders. But at the end of the day, they could have gotten another guy to do that. And they still would have drafted Horace Grant at number 10. Same draft. They would have had more firepower and been able to stretch out the bad boy Pistons even more and possibly taking that series that they lost in seven in the conference finals in 80, 89 and possibly went to the NBA finals and the Pistons would have one title, not back to back and not gone to the finals three straight years. Please understand Michael might've won earlier. When you're watching this documentary, I want you to please understand this and make it very, very crystal clear. It was just a different breed. It was just a different era. I understand that people are looking at this and they're like, oh, my gosh, he's smoking cigars. He's drinking um, whiskey off to the side and uh, all this other stuff and how he's talking about people and the things that he may have done. 
this was the era of fresh off of if you ever seen the show Mad Men. Yes, it's toxic masculinity, but it's healthy toxic masculinity, if I could say that. Michael may have gambled. Michael may have smoked. Michael may have um, pushed his teammates to the point of where it was bullying. But he understood when he was wrong, and it brought him closer with Steve Kerr, not pushed him apart. I can tell you stories. When I fought guys, when I was in elementary, middle school, um, and we become best friends thereafter. Um my, my homeboy Pancho, my homeboy Tyrese, we fought. <laughs> Become best friends right after that. That's what we did when we were kids. That's what people did as adults in team sports. Like, that's what happens. You just become a part of who you are. Michael, you get to see the full breath of a man in this. And you got to see the final breath of a man in Kobe Bryant. And these four episodes as a a catalog and a retelling of it, it doesn't, I'm surprised that Michael allowed this to be seen, but I'm also not surprised because of the era in which he came from. Yes, he was marketing himself, but Michael's the same guy who did an interview with Ahmad Rashad saying, I'm not going to do any more interviews about gambling in the NBA finals and did it with sunglasses on. Bad look, but he's a guy who's going to attack what's coming head on to him. And I'm not going to compare him to what guys are doing today where they subtweet or they got burner accounts where they were willing to tweet um, whatever and get the influence out through tweet. No, he just came at people. So that's why I say during this era, he probably get eviscerated for being toxically masculine. I still kind of don't get that phrasing. And it's just literally you're talking about guys when you say toxic, toxic masculinity, in my view, you're talking about guys who raped men or women to get to the top. It's not being a man and stepping up and trying to be an alpha dog. Yes, I believe in community. Yes, I believe in a lot of great things um, and, you know, and making sure that women aren't put down. But at the same time, there is an alpha dog in every room. My wife is one of them. That's why I married her. So when I'm getting back to the point of Michael was the alpha of all alphas with the Olympic team. He was the alpha of all alphas on his teams. He was the alpha of all alphas when he exited the league in 1998 and was the all-star game MVP when Kobe Bryant's coming right at him and coming for the throne, knowing that Kobe's foreshadowing Kobe's going to win a title in two years. So this is the program, folks. I thank you so much for listening. Um, this is a synopsis of episodes five, six, seven, and eight of The Last Dance. I am enjoying this series. The last two episodes are next week. I don't know what I'm going to do thereafter, but I think I got some great interviews coming up with some local um, Palm Beach um, legends and some newcomers coming up, um, like Amari Cobb, who just got draft, um, got an undrafted free agent deal with the Kansas City Chiefs. Lee Meyer Goldwire, University of Charlotte. He battled um, Steph Curry. Um, and I got some things with... Uh, Marvin Boyd, local legend, um, played for University of Iowa. Got some real good things in the works. Possibly maybe getting um, former um, pro football player as well on. But this is the program brought to you by MyBillReview.com Studios. MyBillReview.com will help you save money as a business on your bills, especially during this time. Um, security, uh, maintenance, um, bill pay, um, point of sale, merchant services, they can assist you. Give them a call. 
or reach out to them on mybillreview.com. That's mybillreview.com or 561-281-6099. 561-281-6099. Thanks for listening to the program. Look forward to hearing from you guys next week.